Welcome to the Sharp Angles Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar, TA, and Ryan McChrystal, the team over here at Sharp Football Analysis. Guys, uh, here we are, book release week, the 2021 Sharp Football Preview uh, has been released, uh, came out, and know a lot of you listening have already downloaded and been reading and, and letting us know uh, how you feel about it. So guys, now that uh, the book release is here, uh, how are we feeling this week? We did it. It's it's finally here. I immediately booked a vacation for after this week. But really, Dan, I mean, you're the one that kind of was behind the scenes editing every word of this. Uh, do we have an official word count on this thing? Do you know? But you were the one behind editing all of our work, including warrants. I don't have an official word count. I know it's like it ended up like 450 pages or something. I know just the the team captures in general were about like 5,500 words each. And if you like put that together, it was like a little over what a normal novel is apparently the average word count of a normal novel. So uh, that was fun. Um, So there was a lot of stuff going on, but I think one of the cool things about the book this year is, was there so much stuff like last year, Rich, you and I were able to contribute uh, to the book a bit, but this year TA had some betting things and uh, Ryan, did a whole bunch uh, of things with some rookie impact and looking at we all did some unit rankings for teams across the league which I think we're going to be podcasting about uh, you know in in a couple weeks and and getting deeper into that but Ryan did some of the the write-ups for that so uh, Ryan in TA you guys this was your first time like actually working and contributing on the book so uh, how did you guys uh, find that and what was your process kind of going into that yeah I mean I uh I, I did all the win totals for, for each of the teams. I thought it was going to be a lot simpler because, you know, I, I do bet on a lot of these uh, kind of win totals every year and, um, you know, have written, you know, in the past on a couple of them. But then when you have to make a case for both sides for all 32, it gets a little more difficult. Some teams are actually really easy. Like I could just sit there and be like, okay, ramble off four or five reasons for each each side. And then there was others like like the Cardinals were like one of those where, um, you know, there weren't like outside of just pure, oh, they added JJ Watt or Kyler Murray has to step up. Like there weren't a lot of, you know, uh, tough luck stats or stats that were going to regress They're kind of, you know, middle of the road and in, in everything. And, and so it gets a little, and they don't have like a really hard schedule a really easy schedule. It's just kind of like one of those teams that, okay, they kind of are what they are. And, you know, there's really no huge case to be made either way. So some of those, you know, you just kind of have to like dig and, and find, uh, find reasons out of nowhere. Uh, but in general, I thought it was a really good, it was a really good process. Um, really looking at what happened last year for each of these teams, you know, how did they get to their records? You know, were they, were they lucky in some aspects? Were they unlucky? How much injuries uh, were involved? You know, how many close games did they have? All those sorts of things um were important and you know were analyzed and then obviously just looking at the rosters this year um you know the roster turnover and then you know what does the schedule look like and what does the rest look like for each team so all of those things kind of tossed into the pot and and uh you know made for for interesting analysis but uh, i thought it was a really good process not to put you on the spot that did doing that change your mind than any team you know one team that um well I, i don't know if it changed my mind but i thought miami I was going to like a lot more 
just because I, I really believe in Tua. We talked about it here. You know, a long shot MVP and all those sorts of things. And I loved adding Will Fuller. I always thought he was underrated. We saw the impact he had it, you know, with Houston. And, you know, I love the Jalen Waddle pick. So I thought that offensively they're really going to take a step up. But I, I, and I knew that their defense benefited from turnovers last year because I bet a few times against them and got burned because of that. But I didn't realize the extent to how massive their turnover um differential was and how much it impacted their defense i mean they're only 20 they were 24th in the nfl in yards per play allowed but seventh in epa allowed and it's all because of turnovers and third down conversions they're number one in the nfl and lowest third down conversion rate over expected they were um, they led the nfl in, in epa gain from turnovers on defense it was just like wow like you're not going to see those things again so it really took me from I, I, this team could really compete and Tua could step up and be an MVP and that offense would be great and to, okay, well, maybe they're just going to be in a bunch of high scoring games now because I don't think their defense is going to be able to do the same things they did last year. So that, that win total at, yeah, I think it's at nine now is about right. So, um, so that was one that I went from, all right, I definitely like the over to, okay, maybe I have to step back here, but that, that definitely stood out. Yeah, for me, this was a fun process. I've been covering the NFL draft since 2004, uh, but this was the I did the rookie uh, draft class reviews for each team and really focusing on um, which rookies are going to have a big impact this year. And so for me, this I've been covering the draft a long time, but this was the most in-depth I've ever gone post-draft looking specifically at their rookie year. And like Reggie just asked TA about it changing your opinion, and it, it didn't like drastically change my opinion of the draft class overall, but doing a lot of in-depth research is how these guys fit the rosters, like right at this moment in time, it did slightly change my opinion because obviously like, you know, when you, you know, I have opinions about all of these rookies coming in. Um, but if you landed at a coaching staff where it's, you know, you're, you kind of question what, how invested that team might be just based on how they may or may not fit into that roster. It did in some cases kind of change how I feel about certain prospects and, just because, you know, the way you start your career, it matters a lot. There are a lot of good players who land in bad situations and have their careers derailed. Um, and an example of that, one of them, or an example of that, like the positive side, actually, I, I wrote down some notes on this one. It's, this is in the Packers section. They took uh, Eric Stokes in the first round, which I think a lot surprised a lot of people, surprised myself included. Um, but when I dove into some of these stats specifically on Kevin King, who he's going to be competing with for a starting job. Oh this no, one, that's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> this one number really jumped off the stats. So obviously we know interceptions is really volatile from year to year. You, it, you know, if you have eight interceptions one year, you might have zero the next. It's not really a skill based stat that much. Um, but a stat that is in the same realm that is more skill based is ball hawk rate, the percentage of targets on which you make a play on the ball especially when you account for where those targets are. Obviously, you're, you're not going to contest screen passes, uh, but down the field, you should have an opportunity to contest those. So looking specifically at throws 10 or more yards downfield, Eric Stokes last year at Georgia had a ball hawk rate of 32%. So basically one out of every three times they threw at him down the field, he was making a play on the ball. That's really good. And I think it's especially really good last year with, you know, there was no, uh, you know, garbage time games really at Georgia it was just an SEC schedule um, and I knew that stat going into the draft and you know I thought fairly highly of Eric Stokes but then going back and looking how he fits into the Packers roster I was like well I wonder what Kevin King did last year looked up his ball hawk rate at 10 or more yards downfield it was zero 
percent. He did not make a play on the ball 10 or more yards downfield. And so, I mean, obviously that, you know, Stokes should win that job. I'm sure that's something the Packers are aware of. It probably influenced their decision to take Stokes maybe a little bit higher than other people would have. But I also just found it, you know, really, it kind of changed my opinion of the Packers overall because it made me think like, you know, that's a good secondary outside of Kevin King. If Eric Stokes is a really significant upgrade, that really changes their defense. Maybe their pass rush, you know, starts to look a little bit better because the secondary is better. Maybe their run defense also looks better because, you know, they, they trust King on an island more and can stack the box more. It's, it, so it was really interesting, you know, writing those sections and coming up, you know, seeing examples like that where like, oh, some of these rookies are, you know, maybe going to have a really big impact right away. And some of them were guys I didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, and I'm guessing because of uh, Alexander, he's going to get thrown thrown to a lot. I will say one interesting um, aspect of that, uh, you know, I remember when uh, I was talking about Newsom as the guy I thought the Browns would take before the draft, and you know, some some Browns fans and um, a local writer said, "Hey, well, historically or at least recent history, these first round rookies have been getting torched earlier in their you know first first seasons of their career. Does that scare a team that could be competing?" and you know, you look at each, almost each one of those cases, those guys step in as the number one quarterback, right? Like you look at CJ Henderson last year, Jeffrey Okuda. I mean, they get thrown to the fire immediately and have to defend, you know, the Devonte Adams of the world. And that's, you know, virtually impossible. You have a guy like Stokes who gets to be the, gets to go the, the, you know, the number two guy, you know, face the number two receivers. So I think that's going to help. Um, so I don't know if anyone has ever taken a look at if these, you know, when these corners come into the league, um, you know, being the number one corner versus the number two, how that's impacted things. And if they obviously played much better than, than some of the, some of the top picks that really get thrown to the fire, but I think that's going to help a guy like Stokes for sure. Yeah. I think that's the part of it. You no, know, anecdotally, when I was looking at, you know, putting all together, all the defensive previews uh, for this book, just kind of looking over the rosters, who these guys who is on the roster, what they did last year. And you look at basically every time I wrote about a rookie corner, it was like, this guy was bad, but he was a rookie corner. So that's what was going to happen. But I think you did see some of those, you know, secondary and, you know, number three guys were able to, you know, fare a little better because like you said, TA, they, you know, didn't have to go against the number ones. I think you saw like Jalen Johnson, uh, the first couple of games he had, um, he was, you know, able to play pretty well because he didn't immediately have to be that number one um, in, uh, in Chicago. So I think there is a, a little bit of that there. So we'll, we'll see how, and you know, like you said, this off season was so much harder for uh, an, a position that already has such, you know, a big rookie curve um, for them to get thrown in with the type of off season that they had. Uh, we'll see. I think there's going to be a pretty big um, year two jump for some of these guys, which we've kind of seen at cornerback in the past. And I think rookies coming in this year might have a slightly easier uh, time getting into, uh, you know, p- playing and, and being able to have immediate impact uh, than, um, uh, than some of the corners did last year. So, uh, Rich, while you know this is uh, now your your second year doing this, are, are there some things that you found that were uh, easier to put together for this book, and there's some more interesting things uh, you found for the book while you were uh, doing all your work this year? Uh, I mean, it it, it all kind of just just bleeds together. I'm not really sure what I wrote for the book <laughs> and what I've been writing for the site, just because you know I, what I did for the book was obviously I wrote up all the uh, the the passing, rushing, and 
uh, receiving performances for every every NFL team and then like a fantasy question. And that's all stuff I've really been doing also on the site. So, uh, you know, kind of, you know, kind of bled over into that work. I, I will say, though, for two years in, I have to remind myself in year three, just start earlier. <laughs> Like, I know it's coming. Uh, maybe Warren has this problem, too, because he's been writing the book for basically a decade now, like, and, and, you know, crams in that last month, you know, it's like, we know it's coming, like, why not get a head start? And uh, I have to remind myself next year to to space myself out and just get that early jump and you know, write the stuff earlier. Yeah, no matter how early you think that it, it just, it's not early enough. I've also found that out this year. Um, so that goes to it. So, um let's just kind of dive into you know some of the more, you know more interesting things i think ryan and ta kind of you know pointed some things out but there was there something while you were either putting together in this you know for the group while you were putting together the book or while you know reading uh the, everyone else's i think at you know there was a point i was the only person who had read the entire book uh for a while so i know like when we're putting together this book, you know, not everyone is seeing what everyone else is doing. So is there something that you saw while you were either putting together or reading the book after the fact uh, that stuck out to you about, you know, what happened in 2020? I mean, I guess I'll, I'll mention um, a couple of, of quick facts. Um, so the Falcons, uh, you know, I knew they played a ton of close games last year. Um, we, you know, we remember you know, the, the Lions kind of with a last minute touchdown or last second touchdown. I mean, they lost a couple of games kind of in the last second. Um, they ended up blowing five fourth quarter leads with under two minutes left. Um, but the stat really blew my mind. I mean, they had a negative 18 point differential uh, for the season, which actually isn't that bad. I mean, they're a four and 12 team, uh, but that point differential historically equates, you know, sh- you should have about seven and a half wins when you look at Pythagorean uh, expectation and they did face a single toughest schedule in the NFL. So, you know, you would think, oh, wow, this would be a big turnaround. And, you know, the fact that they actually had a 28, they had a positive 28 point differential going into the fourth quarter. So you see, I mean, they just got blown away in the fourth. And so no team since 1990 had a point differential of at least 27 um, and one less than six games. So, I mean, the Falcons really talk about underperforming. This is a historical level here. Um, so that one really blew me away just to the extent of how often they, um, you know, they blew these, these last second leads. And the other thing really was just some of the injuries. I mean, I, I'm a big believer that, um, you know, offensive lines outside of quarterback offensive lines are the single biggest impact on, um, a team season one way or the other, um, especially at, you know, the health of the offensive line and two teams, both from the NFC East, Dallas and Philly, um, had the, the, by far the, the, the most injury, um, adjusted games loss. If you look at football outsiders metric, um, on the offensive line, I mean, I mean, the Eagles were absolutely decimated. I mean, and, and it started before the season. And I know, Dan, you wrote extensively, you know, the Eagles pretty well. Um, I mean, Brandon Brooks, who's an all-world guard, I mean, he might be the best guard in the NFL, um, was hurt before the season. Andre Dillard missed the whole season. Lane Johnson, you know, Jason Peters, Isaac Siamulu. I mean, in total, they lost, they missed 56 games. I mean, those are some big names. I mean, that's a really good offensive line when healthy. And they just got absolutely decimated. And you look at Dallas, same thing. I mean, um, you know, that was obviously their calling card for a number of years. So, um, you know, both teams, I think if they can get those, they can get a bunch of those guys healthy, um, you know, that can make a big, you know, big impact this year. But the fact that both led, you know, were, were the highest uh, number of games lost and, you know, came from the same division, I think was, was kind of astonishing just the extent of that. 
So uh, th those are a couple of things that I think uh, in my research and putting these together, I thought were really interesting. Yeah, one of the things that I thought was really interesting from the book, looking specifically back at like last year's stuff, coming into this year, I'm pretty high on the Browns, um, but reading TA's section on why to bet the under, I thought he actually made a really compelling case for why to bet the under on the Browns. And one of the things that really jumped out to me was just how much the offensive line played a role in their success last year, knowing that that's an area of the team that can be pretty volatile from year to year, especially as injuries maybe enter the mix. Looking at, you know, TA mentions in that section how much Baker Mayfield benefited from the offensive line's play, you know, especially as it relates to how he struggled when he was under pressure. That definitely, you know, thinking back on that, it did sort of like, you know, draw more attention to the fact like, wow, that, that really was kind of the MVP of that team last year. And if they don't play at that high of a level this year, I, I wonder what that looks like for the Browns. Yeah, they missed a combined. Mean... <laughs> yeah, the line missed a combined seven games last year. And it's, you know, that's, that's a really good unit too. So a great unit that barely missed any games. We know offensive line, that's like, you know, hard is to keep an offensive line healthy in back-to-back -back years. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, you mentioned that's a big factor in the fact that, you know, Baker Mayfield struggles under pressure in general, so he needs structure. So that's definitely the, the flimsiest aspect, I think, of the Browns season this year is just, you know, being unlucky in injuries on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, when we did the unit ranks, I was just so blown away by how high the Browns came out, not just from my own stance, but collectively, you know, I think collectively they ended up, We this isn't the unit rankings podcast, we'll go over some of those, but I mean, every single upgrade they made basically took like a, a weakness of their team and put them almost as a strength, and uh, I was really blown away by how, how high they came out in totality when we got there at the end of the line. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we did the, uh, the Twitter spaces the other night when we were, you know, promoting the book uh, when, right when the book came out. And I, I talked about the Browns still quite a bit. I think one of, the, you know, they're interesting, even with that offensive line. I remember there was um, that one game where they were missing some guys on on the offensive line. I think it was one of the games Betonio was out. Um, but then they were, you know, running right at um, their replacement at left guard and using a lot of pulls uh, with uh, – with uh, JC Treader and Wyatt Teller getting them out in front. So I think they're just such a smart team right now. I think they just like really know what they are and what they're doing well, that even when they had games where, you know, they, the rare game where they did have an injury on that offensive line, they knew exactly what they needed to do uh, in order to compensate uh, for it. And then, you know, looking at, you know, what they did on the defensive side of the ball and we'll, you know, get into that when we do the unit rankings uh, later, but, you know, this is a team that was already, you know, it had some pieces there, but, you know, you look at what they had at safety, uh, throwing Andrews and Deho out there for way too many snaps than anyone should be doing uh, in 2020. Uh, they're, you know, going to get Grant Delpit back. They're going to sign John Johnson. I uh, got Troy Hill to uh, play the slot corner. Uh, those were two guys who played uh, big roles on the Rams defense last year. You know, you have Denzel Ward there. You might get a healthy Greedy Williams. You have no idea what's going to be there. You drafted Newsom in the first round. Uh, this is a team that already played the most uh, cover four, uh, most quarters uh, in the league last year. So I think they're already doing some really good things. I, when I was diving into it, this isn't something I put in the book, but on first and second down, they had the third lowest explosive pass rate allowed uh last year but on third down they were 31st so they kind of got gashed for some of those big plays on third down but first and second down a little more stable uh so i think with some of those uh you know improvements uh, along the defense they'll be able to you know play a, a little more um 
you know, just you know, good coverage and they'll have the guys to be able to do that. I think we talked about this, you know, last year heading into the season, uh, some teams that did good things, but didn't exactly have the players to do it well. And I think the Browns on defense were one of those. And I'm really looking forward to what they could possibly do uh, heading into 2021. And I think a big point there too, is normally when you see a team you know, do well, like the Browns did last year, obviously making it to second round of the playoffs, you know, you don't see a ton of changes, right? Like the, you just kind of stick to the roster you had. You look at Tampa this year. I mean, they just brought everybody back. Um, and so you see that often, but the Browns said, no, like our defense was our weakness. Let's take the assets uh, that we have. We've got a, a quarterback still on his rookie deal and let's invest in that defense. And they did, like you mentioned the John Johnson and Troy Hill acquisitions. They get Grant Delpit back uh, at safety, the Greg Newsom draft pick. I mean, they're going to revamp that that secondary and look, they, they led the NFL in adjusted games lost in the, uh, in the secondary. I mean, they, they were, they had the most injuries in the NFL, most impactful injuries um, in that secondary. So, um, you know, it was a combination of health and just poor, really poor safety play. So they revamped that added to Davian Clowney, whatever you think of him, he's not, he's going to be a secondary, you know, secondary pass rusher and situational guy. He's not, you know, he's not relied upon to be the main guy like he was at Tennessee, so we'll see how he impacts things. And they, they, you know, drafted JOK at linebacker. So um, I think adding speed, adding a bunch of, you know, uh, young players uh, in that secondary, especially is really going to, going to help them going forward. So I like the fact that they didn't just sit on their laurels and they, they really invested as much as they could uh, in that defense. So, um, you know, that's definitely going to impact on the positive side of things, but they were, you know, completely, like you mentioned, completely gashed on third and fourth downs. It could not get off the field. Um, so that's going to be uh, a big part of them uh, turning things around uh, defensively and hopefully, you know, for them, obviously hoping to get to the Super Bowl. Well, and just to add to that, when I was talking about how they're a smart franchise right now, we see teams all the time try to fix an area of the defense by going out and spending a lot or heavily investing in the draft. And a lot of times it doesn't work. What I really like about what the Browns did is they kind of did both. They went out and added a lot of veterans to the secondary. They also spent their first round pick on the secondary knowing that some of those guys they added aren't going to work. And so now they, not only did they add some players who probably can come in right away, but there's a lot of depth there. So like, you know, one or two of those rolls of the dice won't pan out and they can probably fill it with somebody else who's already on the roster. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, a a team that's doing so many smart things. And I think it was, I think that was probably one of, you know, the, favorite chapters to uh, one read and put together while going through, you know, everything they've been doing. I mean, from during the regular season, I think, you know, I've done, you know, 20 minute soliloquies on, you know, the Kevin Stefanski rollout to the left, um, which is just, you know, a crazy thing they do when they have Baker going to the left. And when you have some other guys are bootlegging uh, over to the left or right-handed quarterback, you're not expecting the guy to be able to turn and throw. But when you have uh, in uh, other offenses, those are like, you know, four yard, you know, dump offs and they're just creating space there. But in the Browns offense with Kevin Stefanski, uh, those are, those are deep shots off of, you know, rollouts to the left. And they just uh, have so, so many ways to create big plays. And I, I think that's going to continue going forward. So, uh, so before this turns into just an hour on the Browns, um, are there any other teams uh, that while you were going through this book, you, uh, you might've felt either let's go higher or lower uh, on, I think we kind of, you know, hit on some teams uh, earlier, but uh, is there anything else that stood out while uh, we were going through the book? Yeah, I'll, I'll step up with one uh, same division as the Browns, but the Bengals, I really like the Bengals. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. 
Um, just from a, I'm sure, Rich, from a fantasy perspective, I mean, they, I think Joe Burrow is going to have a monster year. I really love Jamar Chase. Uh, we know that T. Higgins had a good season last year. You know, I was trying to find reasons to take their under. I mean, you know, besides just Zach Taylor might just be a really bad coach um, and a, uh, you know, a tough schedule. Like, there's a lot of reasons to like them on the over. I mean, they played a ton of close games with Joe Burrow. I mean, they faced six playoff teams in the nine games that he started and finished. Uh, they went two, six and one in those games, but they lost four of them by one score or less. Um, they were very, very, very plucky, uh, I'll say, um, in those games. And, you know, if Jamar Chase is good as advertised, they might have the best or one of the best receiving cores in the NFL with Higgins and Boyd. But they were unlucky in a lot of categories. I mean, they're 28th in the NFL and recovering their own fumbles. They're only 30th in red zone percentage um, overall. They ranked in you know the bottom seven in EPA gained on defense. Um, and in the top five in EPA lost on offense from turnovers. Uh, and now they get, you know, even though the tough schedule, they get, you know, the second most um, uh, kind of the second highest net rest edge in the NFL behind Carolina with 11 games. And they only have to play, you know, one road game in the final 40 days, 49 days of the season. So, you know, they've got an overall pretty decent schedule. Um, when you look, when you consider the rest, they've got an explosive offense. Um, they're going to throw a lot. I actually like Joe Burrow. I was uh, going back and forth with some people on Twitter yesterday from a long shot perspective for to lead the NFL in passing yards. I like Joe Burrow. He's a 20 to one. And normally you'd say, all right, bad team. You know, let's it would probably be reserved for guys like Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. But when you look back, at least in recent history, um, the guys that have won the, the passing yardage title, you know, all, almost all of them have come from kind of seven to eight win teams. Uh, Deshaun Watson actually led the NFL last year. They, they won four games. You had Jameis Winston winning it one year with Tampa and Drew Brees a bunch of years. So it's like those teams that, you know, can, can, you know, good quarterback or good enough quarterbacks that can throw the ball um, at high volume. They're down a lot. So even you know, kind of get those fourth quarter garbage yards. I think Burrow can, can kind of fits that category, but I'm, I think Cincinnati is an exciting team in general. So I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts, obviously that defense will probably struggle, but um, from an offensive perspective, at least a, a fun perspective, I think they're one team I'm looking forward to watching a lot this year. Does anyone does anyone know what Zach Terrell looks like? I don't even know what he looks like. I, I feel like the most nondescript NFL head coach we have right now. It certainly uh, looks like uh, uh, Sean McVay, right? I mean, uh, I, I can't remember like any presser, even after Burrow's injury, like of Zach Taylor, like, you know, doing something after the game. Uh, but, you're, you know, you you are right. They're fun and they're a fun fantasy offense. So obviously I have a, a lot of, you know, research and stock put poured into them. And just really the biggest question, because, you know, it's interesting about Burrow is on a per dropback basis, his rookie season was very similar to Tua's but he had so many counting stats because they dropped back the throw 45 times per game that it kind of, his counting stats just kind of dwarfed where Tua's were, but on a per drop back basis, they were very similar, um, which is probably, you know, more encouraging it is for than I guess like, you know, than Tua's argument, we've been a pro Tua, you know, support group here too. But I mean, we expect Burrow to just improve and really the way to improve is the by default of just replacing AJ Green with Jamar Chase. I mean, the, the, the succubus that was AJ Green on this offense last year burrow targeted 19.2 percent of the time they connected on just 45 percent of their passes 4.7 yards per target just one touchdown pass targeting other Bengals players joe burrow completed 72.8 percent of his passes 7.4 yards per target with 12 touchdowns on throws over 15 yards downfield 
he and AJ Green connected on just three of 27 targets. The big knock on Burrow that you always hear is his deep ball acumen, but targeting other players, let's say AJ Green, he was above league rate. He completed 44.6% of his passes. So replacing Green with Jamar Chase could be just a massive upgrade for Joe Burrow and this entire efficiency, passing efficiency as an offense, because, you know, listen, I want AJ Green to at least have one more good season in him, but I mean, it, it just wasn't. Last year, we talk about catchable targets being a quarterback stat a lot of times. It wasn't completely a quarterback stat in this instance. Yeah, I agree. I think Chase is the wild card for them. If he steps up and has like a really great rookie year, that could be a very good offense. I may be a little bit more skeptical about that than some people. Um, I'm just not, not quite as high on Chase. I certainly agree that his ceiling is elite and worthy of where they took him, but I'm a little concerned about how he comes in immediately. One of the stats that really jumped out to me from his college career was on short and intermediate routes in 2019, when he was playing with Joe Burrow, his catch rate was 77%. His catch rate on catchable targets was 77%, which ranks in the bottom 20th percentile. So he is a good deep threat, but if even when working with Burrow in that Heisman season, he wasn't consistently catching those easier throws, which makes up the majority of your offense, I'm just a little skeptical how he's going to be able to to fix that immediately. He took a year off. Now he's coming into the NFL as a rookie. Like I could see that being something that holds him back from being great right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, one thing about Chase when you watch him in college is like, he lets guys put his hands on him. Like he opens up, you know, he does not, you know, he does not do a lot of hand fighting around. He relies on his strength. He was stronger than almost everyone he faced and he has bullied his way through people. But in the NFL, I mean, he lets defenders put his hands on him. You said you're not going to win in short areas of the field like that. So it'd be interesting to see how that translate to the NFL, especially with him taking a year off, you know, not really getting those reps in the SEC schedule last year, uh, how that translates year one. Yeah, and if you want to, you know, look at how uh, in depth all of the sections of this book are, you know, we're going ten minutes uh, super deep on the Bengals, and that's just uh, what you <laughs> what you're gonna get, you know, from the book too. It's it's that same level uh, for every team. I think when we look at, you know, bring up AJ Green before, and yeah, like you said, it was not fun to uh, watch him last year. I know I, I did a piece uh, during the since like the middle of the season on you know Burrow's deep ball um, and why that wasn't connecting quite as much, and I watched way too many AJ Green uh, deep routes to uh, really see what was going on. And uh, no one should uh, ever have to do that. Um, but we're all going to bring that over to uh, Arizona, AJ Green's new team. That's a team I just like, I want to like so much. But I just like, I, with everything they're doing and all the, the numbers that you look at and, and so much mm -hmm. of, you know, what they've been doing, their, their personnel moves, I just, I, I don't understand it, especially when I like, every other team in the NFC West a, a lot too. And I think that was probably one of the divisions we talked about the most on this podcast, just like throughout, you know, the run of this podcast, we probably talk about the NFC West, you know, probably as much as any, any other division. Um, but when you look at Arizona, when, you know, their big thing was AJ Green, I think the only way he really, you know, improves this year is if they make him like the Larry Fitzgerald big slot type of guy and, and maybe that opens him up a, a little bit but I, I'm not sure how you know much that really uh, improves that offense you know you just need to see you know more motion coming from that when you look at the defensive side of the ball like Malcolm Butler is their you know cornerback one right now after all old guys. free agency like, yeah every, it's every it's, dude is over 30 it's insane <laughs> I mean I, I think 
JJ Watt can, can still be good, but like you said, the, the second the secondary there, you know, Malcolm Butler uh, coming in replacing Patrick Peterson, who was you know actually better than you would think oh, last year when you looked at some of his numbers. That was the thing that stood out when I was looking at him signing with Minnesota. Um, he was better than than you would have expected. Just the rest of that secondary was uh, not that great. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, you said Patrick Peterson was better than we expected. I actually thought he was. Didn't he lead the NFL in? Um, penalties by like a mile. I think he had like I think he had like the uh, by far the most called penalties on him and the most declined penalties. Like he was just holding left and right. And I saw some of his PFF grades were pretty poor. Now I don't have all the yeah, numbers. but he's he's going to go into a system that I think is a little more within the Mike Zimmer thing. And I think when you just look at his you know his you know coverage stats and the yards allowed per coverage snap, I, they were better than expected. I I'm not saying he was great. Uh, he definitely, he's not Patrick Peterson. I'm not making that case at all. Um, but I'm not sure, uh, throwing in, you know, Malcolm Butler in a, a, a man heavy, uh, defense like, uh, Arizona is going to be, again, is going to be, uh, a, a much of an upgrade if at all. So that's kind of just where uh, I'm getting there. I'm not making a big case for Patrick <laughs> Peterson, uh, at all. But then when you look at linebacker, you know, we, I think we like what Zayvon Collins does, but when you put him next to Isaiah Simmons, um, you know, they kind of struggled to figure out what to do with him. So I'm just not totally sure. But then again, this defense was, you know, like 10th, uh, top 10 in DVOA last year. Um, so they were surprisingly good. I think that was a lot because of the pass rush uh, and some of the pressures they were able to scheme up. I'm not sure that defense gets much better. Uh, and I'm still like, um, I'm holding on to Cliff optimism. Like, I think he should be able to get it. Uh, but it just, uh, the, the proof right now has just uh, not really been there. So uh, that was a team that just like, as the more you dig into them, it's just, it's harder and harder to be optimistic for what like we have always thought they could be. Yeah. And that's that, you know, I mentioned them in the beginning. It's kind of, I just, you know, couldn't really find a strong reason one way or the other <laughs> to take them. There was just kind of a, there's a kind of middle of the road and everything. Um, so I agree with you. I, I will say, since you talked about the NFC West, that was definitely one, you know, maybe another uh, kind of insight that didn't realize the extent of it that surprised me in doing some of this research. Um, you know, typically you see, and I've talked about a million times, you know, injuries you, you would think would regress um, one way or the other, like, you know, the outliers. Um, if you're heavily injured one year, you should be kind of, you know, closer to the middle of the pack than next year and vice versa. The two teams that have bucked that trend the most, uh, both from the NFC West and both in opposite directions, the Rams and the Niners, I mean, I don't know what's going on uh, in San Francisco, but they've finished bottom 12 in uh, football outsiders adjusted games lost due to injury uh, eight straight years. Okay. And then the Rams and they were dead last last year. And then the Rams on the other side of the coin um, were second in the least amount of um, adjusted games lost due to injury and COVID last year. Um, They finished second, first, eighth, fourth, first, and first in the last six season. Like, how does that happen? How do you keep your... Uh, I understand maybe soft, soft uh, uh, tissue injuries you could probably account for if you've got a really good sports medical staff and, you know, just really, really pay attention to that stuff. But, you know, how do you avoid uh, ACL tears and broken bones and those sorts of things? Like, that's just, I don't know if that's luck or if that's something that's going on uh, for, uh, with each of those teams. But I thought that was really interesting that just the dichotomy of uh, both of those franchises really um, having uh, pure luck on the injury side and, and just having no luck uh, in the Niners case. So, you know, if the, the Rams are so 
um, dependent on their starters. I mean, they have zero depth and they rely on their stars more than any other team in the NFL. I mean, if they just have a couple of injuries, they're, they're screwed. We saw what happened when Aaron Donald was hurt in the playoffs last year. I mean, their, their defense got shredded by, uh, by Aaron Rodgers uh, and the Packers. So, you know, as much as I want to like them, I I just, it's just hard for me to, to just assume that they're always going (laughs) to get that luck on the injury side, because if they ever have to depend on, you know, their backups, they're, they're in trouble. And the other side of the ball, if the Niners ever have a healthy season, um, with all that talent and that coaching, like they, they should be Super Bowl favorites, to be honest, or not favorites, but at least, um, you know, one of the favorites in the NFC. So uh, I don't know if you guys had any other opinions on those two teams, because I just can't wrap my head around, um, kind of the, the, the total dichotomy of how they've, um, you know, kind of done business the last few years from, from an injury and, um, kind of death perspective. Yeah, it's interesting that you guys both just mentioned the Cardinals and 49ers on teams that you're not quite sure what to think of. Because I noticed when uh, compiling all of our votes in the unit rankings that those were two of the teams that we had a lot of disagreement with on a lot of different uh, categories. You know, there were certain ones like, you know, we all agree the Cardinals running back situation is bleak. But, you know, a lot of different positions, there was sometimes a range of like 10 spots or more that we would cover. Uh, The 49ers running back situation was probably one of the most volatile uh, I don't think anybody was within five spots of another person where we placed them. So those two teams really jumped out at me as, you know, we, you know, we each have opinions, but you know, we're, you know, most of us are probably wrong because we're kind of all over the place with those two teams. That's why when we brought up the 49ers a couple of weeks ago and their win total, like I thought it was just like everyone just immediately regressed and said, like, this is a team that's going to bounce right back and setting it at 10 was just too high. Like I, it just gives me, like a, a weird feeling. Like I think if they set it at like nine, it would have been better nine and a half, but the, just open to be one of like eight teams to have a 10, a double digit win total felt like it was just an immediate bounce, take, especially a team that could potentially turn over to one of the, uh, one of the most unique quarterback prospects we've had, you know, a, a D2 player that we, that looks like he's built in a lab, you know, in terms of athleticism and having a howitzer of an arm, but really has like no, kind of experience didn't really play football last year so we don't really know how that's going to happen we also know that mobile rookie quarterbacks don't funnel a lot of passing volume and a lot of passing uh you know kind of accounting stats which is interesting from a fantasy stance which simon because everyone is super high on you know kittle Ayuk, and debo and really the odds of all three of those guys hitting if trailing it starts are, are really really minuscule if you look at the history of mobile quarterbacks especially rookie mobile quarterbacks but uh and a lot of people talk about their schedule but even after the first two weeks they have plenty of games where you could see them still losing uh, especially if Jimmy Garoppolo is starting and he's had, and he's having the turnover issues that he had. I don't think if, I think if he does start and has those issues, it won't be long until we see Lance if he's not starting week one, but they have a, a stretch, you know, afterwards that people are counting on is really easy of green Bay, Seattle, Arizona, who's always played them good because they've struggled with mobile quarterbacks. We'll see if that changes under D'Amico Ryans, but the Colts, the bears, the Cardinals, the Rams, like all those are losable games. So I, I wouldn't blink if they lost to the majority of those teams, um, would I pick them to be favored in a lot of those games? Yeah, absolutely. But I also wouldn't blink if they, if they were a team that dropped the game to any of those teams, like the Vikings, you know, Seattle. Uh, so, I mean, I could see their, uh, the 49ers season have a lot more variance. I feel like a lot of people are just all the way back in on them. And I think that there is some kind of, you know, middle ground, like Ryan alluded to of us in the unit ranks and kind of, you know, how we're treating out of handle. And I think that there's a lot more variance though, that has let on from the public market. Not, not to change the subject, but just on the, on the Niners, I'm curious because um, of Trey Lance 
Um, do you guys, uh, I don't know, Rich specifically, do you see them using Lance um, in kind of goal line packages or in the red zone I mean, because I mean, of his running ability? Me, I mean, but... <laughs> well, yeah, no, but he probably won't. But I, just because of that, I, you know, I did notice, um, you know, the Niners aren't that great when it comes to red zone offense, um, you know, mm-hmm. under Garoppolo. I mean, they were uh, 19th, I think, in the in their Super Bowl season. They were um, at the bottom. They're actually dead last, but he, he missed part of that season in 2018. So, you know, maybe, and I know they don't trust him. I mean, you see some of the play calling. Um, they're nervous with him in the yep. in the red zone. I wonder if they'll use Lance a lot more, at least early on, to get his feet wet, um, you know, inside the 10-yard line, et cetera. Is that something you guys have seen, or have you heard anything about that? I mean, it's just something that I've just thought of in the back of my head. Um, is kind of a different package with that run game and that run scheme. I can see them using, I can see Shanahan kind of using uh, um, Lance in kind of some pull situations and, you know, out of shotgun, et cetera, just kind of use them in, uh, inside the tent. I, I'm not sure if that's something that they're going to do or not, but um, that, that could be interesting, at least early on. Well, I mean, you know, I, I wrote a, about the quarterback rushing, you know, performance in the red zone last year and just how teams have started to exploit using their quarterbacks in the red zone and you think about the Taysom Hill role, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of that be incorporated to teams. I think the Patriots really stand out as a team that even with Mac Jones starts, why wouldn't they not be incentivized to use Cam Newton still when they get inside the 10? He's literally the best goal line runner of our generation. Uh, and, you know, uh, quarterbacks ran for 47 more touchdowns last year than they did in any previous NFL season. Uh, I think we will see some of that, you know, be used across the NFL. I think the Chargers are a team that stands out. Uh, When you look at Justin Herbert's size and the amount of carries he had inside the five last year, I think given their depth chart of just their only bangers are Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree. I think you'll see, you know, him, him using the run game. I think you'll see, obviously you guys being Ohio state guys, Herb is going to use Lawrence in the run game. Like that's Herb runs that, that shotgun power offense. Uh, Who knows? We may even see Tebow get some carries inside inside the 10. Um, But I think the 49ers, like you said, it's a great way to get, you know, kind of Lance kind of acclimated using him in some spots. The only question is, early on do they trust him to throw in that area of the field you know uh is it is it something that they they don't but uh you do like to see him used in as a dual threat capacity where he can you know kind of use his arm and legs the eagles did that with hurts at the beginning of last year but every time he came to you just run i think he threw like one pass against the steelers so you have to be able to do both though still too like the saints started to use with Taysom uh, a little bit but i think that we will start to see just nfl teams in general use their more mobile quarterbacks because we're only getting more mobile quarterbacks every year entering the league uh, continue to do that inside the red zone. And I think that it comes back to like when we were you know, talking about some of these pros- prospects, we were looking at Mac Jones being like, dude doesn't run. Like he's like, we weren't even thinking about Mac Jones as like a, you know, a potential top tier prospect because we're like, because he doesn't add anything with his legs. Um, so I think you, we are going to see that type of, um, you know, that type of shift in offenses. And I think, you know, like you with the 49ers, I think they actively looked at Trey Lance. So that element was there. I think Shanahan kind of saw what the, his offense was without it, what that could potentially unleash um, with just a, another element that just wasn't there. One more thing uh, that a defense has to account for. Now you can play 11 on 11 uh, in the run game and, and set a, you know, 10 on 11, which it's so many when you have, you know, a, a pocket 
quarterback uh, does do there. Um, so uh, one last thing, let's just uh, throw it out there. Are there any other, you know, final takeaways uh, that you guys had uh, from the book that either, you know, you found or you want to, uh, you know, point out that you're looking forward to uh, as we, you know, start to, you know, heavily preview uh, the season as we're, you know, this is really the, the first step. Uh, this, this book coming out is, you know, this, this marks this, this season is coming. Yeah. I mean, just about the book in general, just diving into it. I, you know, if anybody hasn't listening, hasn't purchased it yet. One of the things that I really love about the book is how you can, like every time you pick it up, <clears throat> you can take a different approach. Like, do you want to read what we have to say and like get our opinions or do you want to go into the numbers and just like start from scratch and come up with your own? Like I've already done that myself a few times, just like pick it up, ignore the words and just like pour over the, all the different heat maps mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then other times I'll pick it up, you know, you know, read someone's section on one of the teams and whatnot. Just like the different options that you have as far as how you want to digest it. I, I just think that's really cool. Yeah. And I think uh, you mentioned with the book, you can find whatever you want, whatever flavor you're looking for. If you're just in the mood to look up fantasy stuff, you can do it. If you just want betting stuff, you can do it. If you just want, you know, what are the rookie impacts? What are, what are the play calling? All those sorts of things you can kind of you know, you've got, you've got about two months here um, in the off season to, to, to mull over it. So um, every you pick it up, you could kind of find something, you know, a different section that you want to really focus on, but I think it's got everything all in one. I mean, it's the only book I know that kind of does all of fantasy betting, play calling um, kind of rookie ranks, all those sorts of things in, in, in one, one book to, to come together. So I, I think it came out amazing. Dan did an amazing job. Everybody did. Uh, it's a lot of work. Uh, you guys all did more work than I did. So I'm, I'm not going to take any credit here at all. So you guys put all the uh, blood, sweat and tears into it. So I thought it came out great. And I mean, 435 pages or whatever is just enormous. So um, kudos to all. And I think I encourage everybody out there to, to go pick it up and uh, kind of go find your favorite section and uh, you'll, you'll learn something new. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm ready yeah. to uh, hit this road trip here and and definitely dive into some more of uh, the chapters here because it's just like uh, Ryan kind of alluded to. It's just, it's just it's so dense that you don't even have to read the words. You can literally just get lost and just looking at all the stats uh, that are just available in there. Just using it as a database uh, as a um, as just kind of an entry point to it as well, where you don't even have to get into the minutia of all the all the narratives and, and everything we're driving home. Uh, so definitely pick it up. I'm looking forward to really going deeper dive into what all you guys contributed uh, this week outside of the few chapters that I've read so far. Yeah, all pictures. That would make my job a whole lot easier for, <laughs> for putting that together next year. So well, I don't know, maybe we should look into that. Um, all right. So uh, on that note, you guys can pick up the 2021 uh, Sharp Football preview right now at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Obviously, if you're you know listening to this, to this pod, you you know what uh, the book entails. You know the the detail of this book, so uh, you can go grab it now and uh, dive through it. It'll it'll take you a while. I can uh, say that uh, with uh, with a lot of certainty. It'll take you a while to uh, to get through it. And like everyone said, there's just there's so much in there uh, that you're going to be finding something new uh, every time you dive into it. So uh, on that note, we are going to uh, end the pod here. Uh, you can find uh, all of Rich's work. We were talking about some red zone. He's been putting up a whole bunch of red zone uh, fantasy pieces. He'll continue to be putting a whole bunch of fantasy pieces as uh, you know, fantasy season uh, really starts. Um, we're going to be getting into a draft soon. So uh, you're going to want to have all of Rich's content. You can find that at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can uh, find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find Ryan on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal. You can find 
TA on Twitter at CleveTA. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.